Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Candy and I are absolutely delighted to be here. And, um, you know, I have to make a little confession before we start. Everybody does disclaimers these days. Have you noticed that? They say, I'm a member of this board or I belong to this organization, so you have to take everything with a grain of salt. My disclaimer is I am not politically correct. So... Uh, that doesn't mean I intentionally try to insult people. I don't. I actually go out of my way not to do that. But have you noticed these days that you can't speak to a group of people without offending somebody? And, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, they had this saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They don't teach that to the kids anymore. Now they say, go to your safe space. And what kind of people are we bringing up when we do things like that? It's a serious, serious issue. But I actually believe that we're in the closing days of this Earth's history. You know, if you read the Bible and it talks about what things are going to be like in the last days, I think we're there. And uh, it would be like in the days of Noah where there was constant evil everywhere. We have drag queens in front of our little elementary kids. Think about what it must be like. If the Lord doesn't come back soon, he's gonna to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But uh, I think he is coming back soon. And the question is, what do we do while we wait? What do we do in our spheres of influence? And do we truly recognize the things that are happening? You know, the American dream is something that is so precious. You can go to any part of the world and they will tell you about the American dream. There's no other country that has a dream. We're the only ones. And part of that is because of the way that we were formulated. You know, we had some tremendous founders, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, all of these guys, they were very smart. And they studied every governmental system that ever existed in the history of the world. Why? Because they wanted to extract the best parts, leave the bad parts out. One of the things that became clear to them is that all governments end up essentially the same. It doesn't matter how they start. It doesn't matter how lofty their intentions are. They grow, they infiltrate, and they dominate. So they wanted to come up with a constitution that would prevent that from happening. And that would maintain a free society for the people. Now the Europeans thought we were nuts. They said, you cannot run a country on the will of the people. You have to have a monarch. You have to have a ruling structure. But they were determined to come up with it. And during the 1787 Constitutional Convention, there was so much arguing and fighting, the whole thing was about to fall apart. And the elder statesman, 81-year-old Benjamin Franklin, got up and he said, Gentlemen, stop. 
let's get down on our knees and let's seek wisdom from God. And they knelt down and they prayed and they got up and they finished the Constitution of the United States, which I think was a divinely inspired document if we're willing to follow it. But when Franklin came out of the building, he was asked, sir, what do we have? A monarchy or a republic? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. We're as close right now to losing it as we have ever been. And we all have a role to play. We all have a sphere of influence that can help to maintain that type of republic that we have with fairness and justice for everybody. But, you know, I had a dream. My American dream was to be a doctor. I loved medicine. It didn't matter what it was. Dr. Casey, Dr. Kildare, man, I was all over that stuff. I even liked going to the doctor's office. I would gladly have a shot just so I could smell the alcohol swabs. Anything, <laughs> anything that had to do with medicine. Maybe not a COVID shot, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, it's not that I'm anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, I do believe in real science. And, you know, it's interesting. We have people advocating that children should be vaccinated for COVID. Children who have a 0.025% chance of death or major morbidity if they get COVID. And you have no idea what the long-term effects of these vaccines are. And here's the good thing, only 13% of adults had their kids vaccinated. That means the American people are a lot smarter than you give them credit for. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to know that. But, you know, my dream was unfortunately uh, derailed by the fact that I was a terrible student. And uh, my mother was extremely concerned. And my mother was next to God, the most important factor in my early life because, you know, she was from a huge family and uh, got married at age 13, achieved less than a third grade education, and then discovered that her husband was a bigamist some years after marriage. And she was so affected by that, she was so depressed that she actually tried to commit suicide took a handful of pills, and fortunately was found before she died. They pumped her stomach and got her to school. But if she'd been successful, uh, I certainly wouldn't have been standing here today. You know, the Lord intervenes in our lives, and he has plans, and they go far beyond the plans that we have. But we all encounter people who are in desperate situations. And we need to do something about it. When she was in the hospital, she met a woman, a Christian woman, who really introduced her 
in a serious way to the Lord. And it made a tremendous difference in the rest of her life. And uh, even when I was this terrible student, she was always the one who was saying, Benjamin, you're much too smart to be bringing home grades like this. I brought them home anyway, but she was always having, you know, these things to say and being encouraging while everybody was teasing me about being a dummy. But I did admire the smart kids. I would never tell them that I admired them, but I did. This one kid was the smartest kid around. His name was Steve. And he would always come up to you after a test and put his A in your face and say, let me see yours, let me see yours. You wanted to let him see it, all right. But, uh, <laughs> but I would always say to myself, not to him, he's the same age as I am. How does he know all this stuff? How can he be so smart? And I really was very impressed with him. But I wasn't very impressed with myself. I didn't think that I was smart either. But when my mother prayed and asked for wisdom, God gave it to her, or at least in her opinion. My brother and I didn't think it was wise at all. I mean, turning off the TV and making us read books and submit to her written book reports that she couldn't read. We didn't think that was smart. But we didn't know she couldn't read them. But, um, but interestingly enough, even though I hated it in the beginning, I actually began to love reading those books because between the covers of those books, I could go anywhere, I could be anybody, I could do anything. And... Poverty was gone for that time while I was in that book. But I started reading about incredible people, entrepreneurs, explorers, scientists, and surgeons. And as I read about their lives, it dawned on me that the person who has the most to do with what happens to you in life is you. It's not somebody else. I stopped listening to all the negativity and the people were saying, you can't do this and the system's against you. I just threw all that stuff in the garbage. Started thinking about what I could do. I was always reading. If I had five minutes, I was reading a book. I became the bookworm. And within the space of a year and a half, I went from the bottom of the class to the top of the class. And I remember going up to Steve after a test. And I said, Steve, how'd you do in the test? And he poked out his chest. He said, oh, I got a 91. And I said, well, gee, that's too bad. Oh, I got a 100. <laughs> and I, I said, uh, next time, if you need help, let me know. I was probably a little obnoxious. But you know, here's the key thing. I had the same brain when I was at the bottom of the class that I had at the top of the class. Exactly the same brain but a different attitude. What does that tell us about our responsibility to develop the intellect of the people in our spheres of influence? And certainly those people who are within our household. But you know, when you start thinking about the human brain, you realize that we are made in the image of God. Think about the human brain, billions and billions of, of neurons hundreds of billions of interconnections. It remembers everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever heard. Your brain can process two million bits of information in one second. 
You can't overload it. People tell you you're going to overload your brain. You can't overload the brain. If you learn one new fact every second, it would take you more than three million years to challenge the capacity of your brain. That is an incredible thing. And think about how quickly it develops. You got a male gamete with 23 chromosomes, female gamete with 23 chromosomes, neither one of which has the ability to become a human being. And then fertilization occurs. They fuse together and all of a sudden you've got a zygote. 46 chromosomes, complete genetic map for a human being. Not part of the mother, not part of the father, a new individual whose brain is developing with millions of new neurons every single day. Within six to eight weeks, you see little eye buds, little ear buds, little fingers and toes, and a heart that's beating. It's hard to say that that is not a human being. And voila, nine months, out pops this little energetic ball of energy, pooping and peeing and eating, but it's so cute you don't care. But that brain is still developing at a rapid rate, even at that point. That's why babies sleep so much. Newborns sleep 20 to 22 hours a day because that brain is continuing to develop and it continues to develop right into your 20s. Your brain does not mature until then. Some people will even beyond that. But, uh, but think about where we are as a society. When we expect children with immature brains to make life-altering decisions about whether they're a male or a female, think about that. Isn't that the reason that God gave children parents? to protect them from people who would take advantage of their immature brains, of their natural curiosity, of their suggestibility. And as Charlie was saying, you know, we have responsibility. We need to speak out against these kinds of things that are occurring uh, in our society. And as we're becoming more secular, look what's happening to us. Increased crime, Increase hatred, increase immorality, all kinds of things. Our families are falling apart. There's only 23.1 million traditional nuclear families left in our country. And some people say that this is all of recent origin. But uh, I would have to take exception to that. It's not of recent origin. And if you look at the congressional record from January the 10th, 1963, congressional record, extension of remarks of Honorable A.S. Herlong, Jr. of Florida in the House of Representatives. He gives the 45 goals of communism in America over 60 years ago. I'm not gonna read all 45, but just a sampling, like number 17, get control of the schools. 
use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum, get control of teacher associations, put the party line in textbooks. Number 20, infiltrate the press. Get control of book review assignments, editorial writing policy making positions. Gain control of key positions in random TV and motion pictures. Continue discrediting American culture. 24, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. Break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. Present homosexuality, degeneracy, promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. Infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. Discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. Number 40, discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce, emphasize the need to raise children away from the negative influence of parents, attribute prejudices, mental blocks, and retarding of children to suppressive influence of parents. Does that sound like stuff that's going on? They've been working at it for a while. You know, we think we won the Cold War, but they were planting the seeds of the destruction of our society, of the fundamental change of our society many, many years ago. That's why Khrushchev said to Eisenhower, your grandchildren's children will live under our system and we won't have to fire one shot. Because we're being played, we're being manipulated. And it's so important that we actually understand that that's what's happening to our nation. If we're going to make a change. And then there's such a big push to eliminate our faith, our Judeo-Christian values, our belief in God. You know, as a person who grew up with a scientific background, I had an interesting perspective as I listened to the professors talk about ways that we didn't need God and these are people who claim to be scientists, talking about things like the Big Bang Theory. There was nothing, and then there was something, and then there was a Big Bang, and everything was organized perfectly into our solar system. I mean, how, well, I don't want to say stupid, but I mean, that is ridiculous, especially if you apply science, like the second law of thermodynamics, entropy which says things move toward a state of disorganization. They're saying there's a big explosion and everything becomes perfectly organized. And I've asked some Nobel Prize winning particle and nuclear physicists to explain that. And their answer always comes down to, 
well, we don't understand everything. And I say, I don't know that you understand anything, quite frankly. And then there, there are the atheists who think that people who believe in God are total idiots. I was uh, once uh, involved in a public debate in Hollywood. Uh, it was myself and Francis Collins on the side of believing in God and Richard Dawkins and David Dennett on the side of the atheists. And at the end of the discussion, I said to Dawkins, you win because you've convinced me I came from God and you came from a monkey. <laughs> and of course the audience just died and he was mortified but uh, it's kind of true but they do have their gods like environmentalism you know at, uh, at UNC last night there was a student who stood up in the middle of my presentation and started talking about climate change. And, um, you know, I just told him he needed to respect his fellow students and sit down and wait until Q&A, which he was embarrassed enough that he did. But when he came back and he asked, do you or do you not believe in climate change? and that we're contributing to the downfall of man with all the things we're doing. Well, of course, God told us to take care of our environment. I said we have a responsibility to take care of the environment for ourselves and for those who are coming after us. But I said the climate is always changing. I said when the climate stops changing, we all die. And of course, the whole auditorium broke out in laughter and he was so embarrassed he went and sat down at that point. But that is their God, climate change. They try to sort of connect everything to that in order to be able to control it because if you accept what they have to say, then you have to accept their solutions for it. And their solutions are solutions that control you Solutions like everybody has to drive an electric car by 2035. Even though there's no infrastructure to support the driving of electric cars. And telling us that fossil fuels are causing all the problems when we've learned how to extract fossil fuels and use them in a way that has given us the cleanest air and water that we've ever had. And they don't think about those kinds of things. And one of the things that we have to begin to push is logic and common sense. Logic and common sense will tell you, yes, green renewable energy is a good thing. It's a desirable goal. But it's also true that we have a lot of fossil fuels and we've learned how to use them in a clean way. And there's nothing that says you can't pursue one goal while you use the other. You use what you got 
to get what you want. And you don't make them mutually exclusive. And you sit down with the facts on the table and you work together to determine how to do things. And the students at this very liberal university found that quite appealing to them. There was a lot of applause for that. And that was very good. And I think that's one of the things that we have to recognize, that we, the American people, are not each other's enemies, but we're allowing people to manipulate us and to drive wedges between us on the basis of race, age, income, political affiliation, religion, gender. They're just driving the wedges, driving us apart, making us hate each other, which is, again, contrary to our Judeo-Christian founding value of love your neighbor as yourself. And we've gotten to the point where we hate people who disagree with us. We want to cancel them. You want to make life difficult for their families. That kind of hatred, where does that lead? it leads to the same situation that we see going on in Israel, Israel and Palestine right now, where people just hate each other and want to destroy each other. That's the direction that we're moving in. And I think we all have in our sphere of influence the obligation to stamp out that kind of hatred and encourage people to engage in dialogue. Think about it on an individual level when people are engaged to be married and how they just talk to each other all the time and they want to be around each other and they want to touch each other. If they're not around each other, they're on the telephone to each other, talking all the time. Before they get divorced, they don't talk to each other. And the next thing you know, their spouse is the devil incarnate. That's what happens when people refuse to talk to each other. I also encourage young people to look seriously at marriage and to understand marriage. You know, marriage is like taking two pieces of sandpaper and rubbing them together. You know, they come from opposite, sometimes environments, very different places, and now they're under the same roof, in the same bed, always together that can cause a lot of friction. But if you keep rubbing those sandpapers together, what happens? They become smooth. You just gotta stay in there long enough for it to be smooth. And what a difference it makes. And a lot of young people don't understand that. As soon as there's a little bit of friction, they're ready to jump out of the situation. We need to talk to the young people in our spheres of influence about marriage and how incredibly wonderful it is to have somebody that you can always count on, who's always in your corner, who is tremendous comfort. There's nothing quite like it. It's a, a little piece of heaven that God gives us on earth. We just have to cultivate it the right way, use it the right way. I remember when, before I got married, when I was a senior in high school, or a senior in college, I said, it's time for me to stop resisting relationships. So I said to the Lord, please let the next relationship be the right one. 
And it was. And uh, he gave me candy, and we've been married for 48 years now, and it's been a wonderful marriage. And and she was so wonderful. You know, she has a degree from Yale, a degree from Johns Hopkins, is very well educated. Many of you know her. She's a violinist as well. And uh, with all of that, she was willing to stay home, be a stay-home mom, raise our three sons. And uh, some people sort of denigrate that role, but uh, they've all turned out to be very successful young men, uh, largely because of the, the fact that she was willing to do that. And while she was doing that, she started the Carson Scholars Fund. She did all the talking to the lawyers and the superintendents of schools did all the paperwork. We have a big staff that does all that now, but she was doing all of that by herself. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of women who don't necessarily take a job in the public sector, but who do amazing things behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, you need that combination. Uh, it makes a big difference in terms of whether one is going to be ultimately successful. But one of the things that stops so many of us in our sphere from being as effective as we can is fear. We're always thinking about, but what if this and what if that, what happens? I remember when I was a youngster, I had a tremendous fear of dogs. It affected my life. I would be on my way to school and I would almost be there and there would be a dog and I would have to go all the way around the block and I would be late for school. And, um, and a little diminutive man helped me when I was eight years old. He said, dogs won't bother you if you're not afraid of them. Just ignore them and they will not bother you. I said, are you sure about that? He, he said, absolutely, I guarantee it. Well feeling empowered, I said, I'm going to try this out. So there was a dog down at the end of the block who was very vicious. Nobody liked to go down there. I said, I'm going to go down there. And I went strolling down there very confidently, and the dog saw me, and he perked up, and he said, my goodness, dinner is being delivered. <laughs> And he came running after me, barking and snarling, and I said, this was a mistake. And he ran right up to my leg and sniffed it, turned around, walked back to the porch and laid down. And I never had another problem with that dog. He never came after me again. He would go after other people, but he wouldn't bother me because I wasn't afraid. You know, isn't the devil the same way? says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to think about that. But where do we get that courage? You know, when I was a resident, one night I was on call and it was a time of a neurosurgical meeting. So all the attendings were out of town at this meeting except for the one that had been left behind to deal with emergencies. And a young man was brought into the emergency room who'd been severely beaten with a baseball bat. His brain was swelling. He was unconscious. The CAT scan showed hemorrhages in his brain. 
there was only one way to save him, and that was to do a, a dangerous operation in which you took out part of the temporal lobe and part of the frontal lobe to create space in the skull. I had seen such an operation before, I'd never done one, but it didn't matter, I, I had to have an attending anyway, so I called for the attending and couldn't reach him. And the nurses called for him, couldn't reach him. The paging operators called for him, couldn't reach him. No one could reach him, the young man was dying. I had to make an incredible decision. Should I risk my career and take him to the operating room, which was illegal, and do an operation I had never done before? Or should I do the safe thing and just intubate and put him on high-dose steroids, put him in the ICU, and let nature take its course? And I prayed to God, and I asked God to give me the wisdom to know what to do. And as soon as that prayer ended, I felt complete peace. I knew exactly what I had to do. I had to take him to the operating room. And everything came back to me. The operation was very successful. And today that young man is a child psychologist helping lots of other people. But interestingly, I never got into any trouble. In fact, I was praised for doing the right thing and making the right decision in a difficult situation. Of course, if the operation hadn't turned out well, that'd have been a different story. But you know what? The Lord never asks you to do anything and leaves you in the lurch. He's always going to be there for you and provide whatever is needed in order for you to be successful. But we have to be courageous as we face the things around us. Uh, you know, yesterday I was on uh, Newsmax talking about something was going on in the state of Oregon. The uh, state education board had decided to no longer require you to be able to complete a basic skill test in order to graduate from high school. They said it was unfair to minorities. Have you ever heard anything so racist as that? I mean, dumbing down things like that and saying that these people are too stupid to be able to complete. The real problem is the way that they teach in schools. You know, in Baltimore, Project Baltimore, they followed students in 23 public schools, elementary, middle, and high school for competency and math. Out of more than 2,000 students, there was zero able to perform math at grade level. Now obviously, all of those students are not stupid. Obviously, there's a problem with the way that they're being taught and with the school system. And uh, we have to be people who advocate for those kids, for the students. What a lot of people do is just take their, their kids out of the school. They homeschool, which is good, or they go to private school, which is good. But we also need to recognize that we only have 330 million people. We have to compete with China and India. They have three to four times that many people. That means we need to develop all of our people. We can't leave some people out and just say, too bad.
because that will come back to haunt us as a nation if we do that. And then we have to keep our eyes open and look and see what's happening around us. Look what's happening in Israel and in Gaza right now. That's a harbinger of what's going to happen here because we've had open borders for three years. And if the terrorists are not coming in in those three years and making big plans for us, they are guilty of terrorist malpractice. And I'm sure that they are doing that and that we are going to see the fruits of our stupidity in the very near future. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to be strong and we're going to have to support each other and we're going to have to work together. And we're going to have to work very hard to make sure that we get the kind of people in office who actually care about our country and uh, who actually have the intellect to understand the complexities of the world. You know, when you look at Ukraine, I was asked at UNC, you know, about the situation with Russia and Ukraine and, uh, you know, about the Gaza Strip and what's going on there and how would you solve that problem? Well, I had to take that opportunity to say, those are problems that shouldn't be going on right now. If we had the kind of leadership that knew how to project strength, we wouldn't have those problems. You know, you create the problems, then you ask us to solve them. And those, you know, our energy policies have empowered Putin. He wouldn't have ever been able to do what he did if we hadn't had silly energy policies and put all that money in his hand. And right now, all he has to do is continue the war by attrition to re waste all of our resources and to waste our money. He can go on forever as long as we have this kind of energy policy, which is why we need very much to all be involved in the political process and your sphere of influence to make sure we get the kind of leadership that actually understands business and understands uh, policies and understands fairness and understands that you have to take care of your own country and your own people. Doesn't mean that you can't lend a helping hand to others. I, my Candy and I were in Europe a month ago and we're talking to some of the Europeans and it was interesting hearing their perspective on us. Uh, first of all, they said, uh, you know, our leadership is a laughing stock. But uh, they also expressed great concern about what's happening to our country because they said that their own safety and security was dependent on ours. And if we went down, who was going to protect them? who was going to ensure stability in the world. So it's a much bigger issue than we think. And that's the reason that we developed the American Cornerstone Institute. When I finished my uh, stint at HUD, my intention was to retire because I had uh, failed retirement the first time. And I said, this time I'm really going to be able to retire. But I realized within a few weeks that the direction of the country was such that I couldn't have any fun playing golf and cruising around the world. So we formed American Cornerstone, which is a think tank slash do tank 
That was the name that uh, Glenn Beck gave it because we actually do stuff, not just think about it. Um, but thinking about those cornerstone principles that made this into a great nation, we didn't become a great nation by coincidence. It was because of the things that we believed in, like our faith that taught us how to relate to each other, liberty, freedom to live the life that you wanted to lead, community, being able to work together, understanding the concept of the common good and life from the womb to the tomb. And then we have a pediatric component called the Little Patriots program in which we teach the children the basis of our belief system and our true history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The fact of the matter is, there's a lot more good than there is bad and ugly. We have people who extract the bad and they try to build everything around that and say what a horrible place we are. You know, if we were such a horrible racist country, why are so many people trying to get in here? And when they get here, wouldn't they call all their friends and relatives and say, don't come here, it's a horrible place. Obviously, that's not what's going on. And um, we also have an executive uh, branch for America program in which we have an online course that teaches people how the government works. Right now, 90% of federal executive branch workers are leftist. And we have got to get people who are conservative in there to balance the boat. It's all tilting to one side. And they have ways of slowing down and stopping programs. Even if you get a good administration in, it's very difficult for them to get things through because we have to have people on the ground floor who understand how the system works. So we put together the Executive Branch for America program, online training, you can get certified, free of charge, as is the pediatric program. We have the state of Alaska, uh, two months ago, adopted our Little Patriots program as part of their official teaching program for the state. There are a number of other states who are considering it now, including one of our largest states. And interestingly enough, uh, the, the progressives in that state legislature didn't want to do this because they said, American Cornerstone, they're conservative. And they analyzed the program and they finally came back and said, we can't find anything wrong with it, so we're okay. Because we try to be unbiased but truthful. But we're the ones who really have the responsibility to occupy until he comes. And just remember who we are as a nation. You know, in 1831, Alexis of Tocqueville came to this nation because the Europeans wanted somebody to analyze what was going on in America. How could a nation barely 50 years old, already be competing with them on virtually every level. The Tookville was going to dissect things and find out, so he looked at our government, and he was duly impressed by our separation of powers, our checks and balances. And then he looked at our business environment, and he was very impressed by the fact that we created an environment that encouraged entrepreneurship and innovation. That's why so many inventions come out of America. 90% in the last 150 years come out of this country. 
And then he looked at our educational system and he was blown away. He could find a mountain man in the middle of the forest and the guy could read. And the guy could tell him about the Declaration of Independence. And if you really want to be impressed, look up a sixth grade exit exam from 150 years ago. See what you had to do to get a sixth grade certificate. You know, you see these people today on these man on the street interviews, they don't know anything. They're completely ignorant. That's not the way our country always was. But the thing that impressed them the most were the churches. As he went across this country and he listened to the sermons that were coming from those pulpits. The sermons that encouraged a ragtag bunch of militiamen to be able to beat the most powerful and organized military force on the planet. Sermons that gave the American people a basis of morality. And he concluded his extensive analysis of America by saying America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be great, she will cease to be good. And now it's our turn to take part in making sure that America is good. Thank you.